0: We're just going to record, and it's going to be great, and yeah, all of it. Welcome back to the Very Nearly Almost podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Sullivan. Y'all, this is our 10th episode. I've cranked out 10 of these bad boys, and it has been so much fun. Seriously, this has been such a rewarding experience, and I'm so excited to deliver more episodes to you guys. This one is a solo. It's me reading an essay that I actually wrote back in 2019. I was going through a time where I was struggling with dating, and you know, I've recently revisited a couple of those feelings, uh, both the tough ones and the ones of empowerment. And I've been sitting on, you know, whether I should share it on this podcast. I've shared it with close friends. I even submitted it to the Modern Love section of the New York Times. And now I'm sharing it with you guys because it's my podcast and I get to do what I want. <laughs> And I'm also going to be taking a couple weeks off for the holidays, but don't fret. We're going to have some great bonus episodes coming into your inbox. And it's all so I can stockpile some great episodes going into the new year. So sending you guys so much love and thank you so much for all the support. I'm very nearly almost so far. Outside of Dutch Fred's. You lock eyes with me and say, I love you to someone and hang up. I'm a half hour late. I didn't want to go on this date at all. I came from the office thinking, I'm going to go eat chicken tenders and then ditch this dude. I apologize profusely for being a half hour late. You hug me and say, You actually gave me the perfect window to call my mom. It sounds like you had the longest day. I have a table inside. The hug you give me is like you already know me, but not presumptuous, just warm. We had exchanged a few uninspiring messages over hinge weeks ago, but the sound of your voice makes me want to hear so much more than hey. You're wearing one of those gray date sweaters guys should wear more often. Your hair is long, tied back in a messy bun. I instantly fantasize about roasting you for this style years from now, even though I'm unabashedly obsessed with it. As we disappear into a cloud of clinking glasses and loud laughers, I begin to remove my winter layers. I'm suddenly very aware of the knit beanie that carefully framed my face in the cold. I gingerly remove it, fluff out my hair, and cautiously climb onto my bar stool to face you. I didn't want to go on this date. I'm going to give this dude an hour, eat some chicken fingers, and then go home, I said to my work wives as I left the office, not caring that I was a half hour late. We hold hands across the table before we even register that we're doing that. I tell you about the horror and hilarity of being an RA at a college in New York City, and my dream pug. His name will be Brantley, and he will wear a red collar. I want to tell you that you're saying all the right things. I'm obsessed with the New York Public Library mobile app, but before I can, you tell me I'm saying all the right things. We can't believe what we have in common both our a's in college, our mothers have to watch the sound of music to the end whenever it is on TV, you tell me about almost pursuing flute professionally, and pulling half a contact lens out of a resident's eye once, and how using a squatty potty is, as you describe, kind of like Cirque du Soleil unless you take your pants off. You impulse order us a cheese plate three hours in. This is the moment I decide I like you very much. After taking our respective bathroom breaks to do last looks and pop breath mints before going our separate ways, we kiss outside. It's in front of a Duane Reed, and it's perfect. We part ways at the 42nd Street stop. I text my best friends as I float home to bed. He likes cheese and libraries. Maybe it's the wine or the rarity of giddiness following a first date, but I send you a screenshot of what I've sent them. Before I can second-guess this decision, you quickly type back, I know, I'm gushing to my roommate about you right now, with the lipstick kiss emoji. No chill, no hesitation, no games. A text from you on Monday turns into dinner the following Friday. We hold hands across the table, enjoy skewers, and tell each other about our respective nerdy blogs. You like to tinker with technology and share your findings. I like to write about growing up with alopecia areata and offer self-image positivity. We vow to send each other links. When I send you mine, you respond with the perfect text message. I've told some friends about you already, and I just love your confidence. I decide our third date has to be special. I get tickets to see The Play That Goes Wrong through work. You don't know this, but you're the first guy I've taken to a show as someone who works in the theater. Something about this feels correct. Of course you would love this show, and of course I already like you this much. I pick up our tickets at the box office and wait for you in front of the blue dog. You stroll up the block, six minutes late, apologizing profusely for being six minutes late. You laugh a lot and hold my hand the whole show. At one point, you kiss my wrist. We both have work tomorrow, but it's hard to stop kissing on the corner of 50th and Broadway. I don't want to leave you, you say as you squeeze my hand goodbye. Days later, the text you send me starts with, I'm in a pickle. By my definition, leaving an umbrella at home or at a restaurant on a drizzly day is a pickle. Being late to brunch plans because your laundry is just about done in the dryer, that's a pickle. What you send me isn't a pickle. At least, not for you. The text continues. This weekend, someone else I was seeing asked to be exclusive. Now, this shouldn't be a problem. We've been on three dates. That's okay. I'm an adult. But here's the thing. On our first date, you mentioned that you hardly ever date. I had cautiously asked if you were coming out of a long-term relationship when you said that. You had responded with, no, I just knew I wanted to meet you. It was the first in a series of moments on three precious dates that you made me feel precious. I've spent some time thinking about it, and I want to give them a chance. I'm so sorry to do this to you because I have had such an amazing time enjoying your wonderful warmth, energy, and curiosity. I really appreciate our times hanging together. Hanging feels gross, like we're camp friends. I'm watching Mad Men, and I immediately start crying on my couch as Don Draper calls up the blonde character I really like and tells her he's engaged to the boring secretary. This isn't the first time something seemingly promising has gone awry. When I first moved to New York City as an adult... I locked eyes on the subway with a handsome, bespectacled man. We did that thing where each person takes turns glancing at each other every stop or so. Finally, he sat down next to me and asked if I wanted to go for a drink. I gave him my phone number before I animatedly got off at my stop. A few weeks later, we were texting details for our first date, which was set to be in less than two hours. Once we determined we'd meet at Coogan's at 8.30 for beer and brownie sundays. He asked if he could ask me a personal question. Curious, I said, sure. What could he possibly have to ask me that couldn't wait for tonight? Why do you have less hair than most people? Having had alopecia areata since the age of two, I'm used to people being unfamiliar with the condition. As a support group leader for the National Alopecia Areata Foundation, these are the questions I help others navigate. I calmly explained the situation via text. I have alopecia. It's a hair loss thing. I've had it since I was two. My hair comes and goes as it pleases. I don't wear wig or hats to cover up. I just let my hair do its thing. I'm perfectly healthy. Thank God you're healthy, he quickly typed back with a smiley face. He then proceeded to tell me he had started seeing someone else right after we met on the train two weeks ago. He suddenly decided it didn't feel fair to her or me to begin something new tonight. At the time, I couldn't stop thinking about walking off the subway before he did. Now, I can't stop thinking about my trip to the bathroom at Dutch Fred's. It was only three dates, but I relentlessly go over each of them in my mind. What was the exact moment he decided he couldn't handle it? Can a kiss on the wrist mean so little to someone? If you look at me across a dimly lit dinner table, you'll see a smiling young woman with sparkling green eyes resting beneath her light brown bangs. They're real. All of the hair on my head is. But if I get up from the table or turn my back to you, you'll see that I have a sizable patch of skin on the top of my head. Having had this patch for 27 years has come with its share of bullying and emotional burdens, but I wouldn't cover it up if I could. Since suffering from painful cortisone injections in high school, I have chosen to let my hair do as it pleases. I've chosen to let myself do as I please. Hats are accessories to me, not armor. I'm confident in my alopecia. In fact, I often forget I have it. The pickle text makes me remember. I mentally retrace my steps to the Dutch Fred's bathroom as I fall asleep, do laundry, wait for trains. My alopecia may not be the reason this guy didn't choose me. There may not be a reason at all. If I think about the times I've turned guys down, and I have, it's usually something I can't put my finger on. There's not a spark, and it's no one's fault. Unfortunately, this rationale is never where the mind goes at the first sting of heartbreak when it's happening to us. This is the case for all of us, fixed on that physical aspect of ourselves we blame in times of distress. Our teeth, our weight, our freckles. I hear stories like mine from others with alopecia, and my girlfriends and friends without it. These stories don't trouble me so much as hearing from those who don't bother dating at all. I think of my first love who would kiss my bald spot as we cuddled close and watched movies in high school. I think of the boy I shared my first New York City summer with. When I told him about my alopecia, he shyly smiled and said, you know, I think Natalie Portman was especially beautiful when she shaved her head for V for Vendetta. I think of the hearts I myself have disappointed with the tap of the word sent. I think of the first date I'm looking forward to next week. Dutch friends guy hasn't deterred me from the pursuit of romance. The skin patch I sometimes feel self-conscious, sad, or shameful about has equipped me with the qualities that make me lovable. It has forced me to learn compassion, patience, humor. There could be infinite reasons why someone may not want to date someone else. With every new date, I am choosing to show off all the reasons why someone should want to choose me. Alopecia included. you so much for listening very nearly almost was conceived created hosted written produced and edited by me lindsay sullivan follow at very nearly almost or at lynn sully 1021 that's a double s in there for updates on the pod and much more kelsey logan created the gorgeous music with chef's kiss music production by colin coogan The incredible logo art was created by graphics wizard Ryan Casey and inspired by photographer extraordinaire, Caitlin McNaney. You can check the art out right next to the subscribe button. As the kids say, I'd hit that. See you next time.